Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. Hag Purim Sameach, by the way. Happy Purim. Who's going to be attending the party tonight? Yeah? Awesome. Purim. It's that holiday where we celebrate the deliverance of the Jewish people from within the Persian Empire by the brave and selfless actions of Esther and her uncle Mordechai. Thank you, thank you. From Hamon. There we go. That's exactly that good warm up for the shindig tonight. We have all heard what I'm going to say 10,000 times before. We hear it every Purim, so to the point where it's almost a cliche. So everybody just take a deep breath and get ready to roll your eyes as I say it again. It might be a cliche, but nonetheless, it's a very profound truth. The scroll of Esther is the only book in Torah where the name of God is not mentioned, not once. But the rabbis have said throughout the centuries that even though God is not mentioned, it's very apparent that he was there constructing that event behind the scenes. Amen? Raise your hand if you've seen this image. Almost all of us. We've all, almost all of us have seen this image. Now keep your hand up if you know who this person is, if you know his name. Well, don't feel bad because you know what? No one else does either. In 1989, Tens of thousands of Chinese students protesting Chinese communist governments occupied Tiananmen Square in Beijing, China, crying for and demanding democracy. The communist Chinese government ordered the military to crush this movement, and it is estimated that more than 10,000 Chinese teenagers and young adults were massacred. As a line of tanks were rolling into Tiananmen Square to finish this massacre, a lone protester carrying nothing but a paper shopping bag walked in front of the lead tank and blocked its path again and again and again as the tank tried to maneuver around him. He's known simply as Tank Man. Believe it or not, due to Chinese government citizenship, this image has never been seen inside China itself. No one knows who he is, and he has never come forward. 
But he reminds us all that the human spirit to resist oppression and demand something more is indomitable. Just like that spirit within Esther and Mordecai. Amen. 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 In the early 1820s, a young girl nicknamed Minty by her parents was born into slavery in Maryland. One day, the same sickly young girl and another young male slave field hand was sent by their master on an errand to a general store. While at the store, Minty's young companion accidentally tripped, knocking over a store shelf. The infuriated store owner picked up a two-pound counterweight and threw it as hard as he could at this terrified little boy. Well, Minty, always willing to stand up and protect a friend, stepped in front of her companion to block its path, but in so doing was struck on the head by this two-pound counterweight. Menti never fully recovered from this blow to the head, suffering severe migraines, seizures, and fainting spells for the rest of her life. But as frail as this made her physically, this experience strengthened within her spirit an already unconquerable resolve. Young Menti grew up to be this woman. Raise your hand if you know who she was. Congregation, who is she? Harriet Tubman. Very good. Harriet Tubman escaped to freedom in the North, but was not at all satisfied with her own freedom. During a 10-year span, this five-foot-zero-inch frail little lady risked her own life and her own freedom and made 19 different trips back into the South and escorted an estimated 300 slaves to freedom in the North. Raise your hand if you know this man. We may not know his, his face, but all of us have heard his name purposefully employing 1,098 Jews in his factory in occupied Poland during World War II, Oskar Schindler purposefully saved them from certain deportation to the death camps. As the war progressed, he and as the war progressed and the tables began to turn on the Nazis in order to feed their own soldiers at the Eastern Front against the invading Soviet Union, the Nazis diverted all food rations from occupied Jewish populations, including those Jews working within Schindler's factory. The result, of course, was the mass starvation of millions of European Jews. Oskar Schindler kept all of his Jewish employees housed, fed, and clothed during the entire occupation with all of his own money out of his own pocket down to his last shilling. It is estimated that more that there are over eight 
8,600 or more descendants of those workers alive today because of this man's selfless actions. While all of us have heard the name of Oscar Schindler, few of us have heard the names of the countless other souls, Jewish and Christian, who openly defied the Nazis in order to save Jewish lives during World War II. You see, up until 1944 and even 1945, Nazi atrocities against European Jews were widely unknown to the rest of the world except for within Nazi-occupied Eastern Europe itself. In 1944, the Eastern European country of Hungary was a Nazi puppet state. However, in its capital city of Budapest, its Hungarian mayor, Admiral Miklos Horthy, risked his life and that of his family by refusing outright to carry out the Nazis' final solution for the extermination of Budapest's Jewish population. Well, of course, the Nazis occupied the city in retaliation. They ousted Admiral Horthy and forced tens of thousands of Budapest Jews onto cattle cars headed for death camps within Poland and the Ukraine. This man, Raoul Wallenberg, a 32-year-old Christian Swiss citizen and diplomat, put his own safety on the line and worked around the clock to give each and every Hungarian Jew waiting on those trains immediate Swiss citizenship and thereby under the direct protection of Swiss international neutrality laws. This and many more acts by, by Raoul Wallenberg saved approximately 100,000 Jews from Nazi death camps only in a short six-month period. How many of you know this man? None of us. In 1963, this man's young daughter contracted a very serious case of the mumps, a common childhood disease, but at this time in history, a potentially very deadly one. This man took a swab of his daughter's throat, drove to his lab in the middle of the night, and found a way to turn this swab into a vaccine against the mumps. But he didn't stop there. Maurice Hilliman single-handedly developed over 40 different vaccines in his career against the measles, meningitis, the mumps, diphtheria, whooping cough, rubella, scarlet fever, hepatitis A, among many others. How many of us were vaccinated with the measles, mumps, rubella, whooping cough, diphtheria shot as that, that's the guy right there. And yes, this man's career right here laid the groundwork from which future influenza vaccines included, including the present vaccine against COVID-19. 
over the years, this guy right here has saved billions of lives around the world. Yeah, let me say that again, billions. All because his young daughter got the mumps. In the muddy, suffering-ridden trenches of World War I, the German, Austrian, and Hungarian line against the British, Belgian, and French line were mowing one another down like dried grass, using the then brand new technologies of poison gas, mortars, and machine guns. However, during all of this absolute meaningless slaughter, the human spirit towards peace prevailed once again. On one December 25th, on a battlefield somewhere near southern Belgium, soldiers on both sides mutually stopped fighting, came out of the trenches, shook one another's hands, and sang Christmas carols together. There were even reports of religious services being held amongst enemies. The soldiers were praying together. They were showed one another photos of their families and loved ones back home and even exchanged addresses, vowing to write to one another as pen pals after the war. During the course of the day, they helped one another bury each other's fallen comrades. This event has come down through history known, of course, as the Christmas Truce. The soldiers continued throughout the day sharing cigarettes and their rations with one another and playing friendly games of cards and soccer. And by the end of the day, superior officers had to threaten their own men with firing squad. <laughs> Did you guys just hear me? They had to threaten their own men with death by firing squad to stop the peace, to stop the brotherhood, to stop the camaraderie, and return to their respective trenches and start the killing again. Since World War II, Locked in the death grip of the Cold War, the United States and the Soviet Union have developed enough hydrogen bombs and nuclear weapons, some 1,000 or more times more powerful than the atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan, to annihilate every man, woman, and child on the face of the planet an estimated 26 times over. And it was this threat that kept the quote-unquote peace between the two superpowers. It was known as the policy of mutually assured destruction where any provoked or unprovoked attack on one superpower on its, or its allies would result in a full retaliatory attack by the other side, prompting both sides to completely destroy one another and most likely the rest of human 
civilization. During the Cold War, now listen to this. We did not know this. This was classified information. We did not know this until after the Berlin Wall fell in the late 80s and communism fell in the early 90s. Listen to this. During the Cold War, the chains of command to attack were very different between the United States and the Soviet Union. In the United States, only the president, only the commander in chief could make the decision to launch a nuclear strike. However, in the Soviet Union, things were very different. Each submarine captain, each field marshal, each commander associated with each individual missile silo had the authority to launch on their own judgment. Let that sink in. In October of 1962, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, the United States was blockading Soviet ships from bringing more missiles in and out of Cuban territory. A Russian submarine loaded with nuclear missiles was going under the blockade. An American cruiser wanted to just warn the submarine, don't go any further, come up and surface now, and responded by dropping three very small depth charges about the size of an orange that could have never done any damage to the submarine. It was just a warning, do not violate the blockade. Well, the Soviets had no idea that this was just a warning. They thought they were being fired upon. They thought this was the first aggressive move by the United States starting World War III. And on this sub, as I mentioned, the authority to launch its entire nuclear payload rested with the submarine's three most highest ranking officers who had to be in unanimous agreement to launch. The three commanders were in the control room of the sub with their keys ready to turn and launch. But one of the three commanders, Vasily Alexandrovich Archipov, said, No. Regardless of what you might do to me, I will not launch. Even if everything I've been taught my entire life is true, and these capitalist Americans are monsters. I am not a monster. Raise your hand if you know this man. I'll give you some more time. None of you. I'll charge you that by the end of this sermon, all of you will remember him for the rest of your life because I could make a case 
that he's the reason that we're all enjoying our lives today. It's a bold statement. I'll make it again. I could make a case that he's the reason that we're all here enjoying our lives today. Where were you on September 26th, 1983? On September 26, 1983, this man, Lieutenant Colonel Stanislav Pietrov, entered an early warning bunker south of Moscow intended to track incoming nuclear missiles launched from the, from the Midwest United States. Since he was the commanding officer of his shift, just like in the submarine, the buck stopped with him whether to initiate an attack against America or to retaliate against an American attack. Suddenly, the early warning computer alarms detected three different incoming American missiles. Pietrov immediately examined the satellite photos looking for evidence of three different launches, but since the sun was setting over the United States at the time, photographic evidence proved useless. Pietrov knew that within 12 minutes, the missiles would begin to detonate over Soviet cities. The computer alarmed two more times for a total of five incoming American nuclear missiles. But this man, rested on his better instincts. And he said to himself, of all my years of military training, I know that if the Americans were going to attack, they would attack with more than only five. But, but still, if these five are, are indeed real, I will not participate in the mass murder of innocent Billions. Lieutenant Colonel Stanislav Pietrov gave the order to stand down. Come to find out, the satellites were picking up light reflected off ice crystals in high altitude clouds from the rising sun, which refracted off the satellite's lenses and were all gone within 15 minutes of the first alarm. I want to leave you this blessed Purim season with a thought. During this whole entire sermon, Except, except for in a brief opening remark in my introduction, just like within the scroll of Esther itself, I have not mentioned God. Not once. But, oh, beloved, is our my almighty God working behind the scenes? Yeah, you better believe he's working behind the scenes. You better believe he's working behind the scenes in this world. And beloved brothers and sisters, whether you are here now, whether you're listening by podcast, whether you're watching by Zoom, if you are crying tears of grief, he is there to wipe them away. 
And if you are crying tears of joy, he is dancing in every single one of them. His providence is in every nook and cranny of your life. And moreover, brothers and sisters, none of these people that I have mentioned here, none of them are superhuman. They are ordinary people just like you, just like me, just like Esther, just like Mordecai, just like every single one of us. These are ordinary people with ordinary lives who drink coffee every morning, who have their favorite foods, who have songs that they hate, who embraced the very best within themselves that the Almighty has provided to everyone. I'm reminded of my very, very favorite rabbinical story. And, and it gets me every time. It, it gets me every time. And it goes like this. One day, any person, and I love that, one day, any person, meaning that any person could be you, Henry, or you, Lauren, or you, Scott, or you, Nathan, could be any one of us. One day, any person looked up at heaven and out of sheer despair, and frustration asked God, asked, Lord, Lord, with all the suffering and grief on the world, why don't, why don't you do something? Why don't you send help? And God said, I did send help. I sent you. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom.